Agent Stahl is on a mission, rounding up the women connected to Sam Crow members with the most to lose and indicting the club with Rico. It's an ambitious plan, and a lot goes her way. She almost gets off, literally, pain-free. Almost. Hi, and welcome to Belated Binge Sons of Anarchy, the re-binge podcast that doesn't take itself or the show too seriously. I'm your host, Zach, revisiting some of the most iconic series in recent memory that I nearly missed out on. That's the belated part, and today we continue our binge part of Season 1 with Episode 10, Better Half. The Belated Binge Podcast. Before we get into it, there will be spoilers. Obviously. There will also be adult language and situations Earmuff the children. Shout out to Katie holding it down for the bonus binge squad. More on Patreon later in the episode. Real quick before we jump into this episode, if you recall a couple episodes ago, I uh, posed a question of who do you hate at this point in the series worse? Alvarez, president of the Mayans, or Darby, leader of the what do they call themselves? The Nords. I asked this question uh, and wanted to hear your feedback on that at that point in time, because I think these two characters have interesting journeys and arcs, and our um, view of them may shift over time throughout the series. So just a spot check, and I got a cool voicemail from Cousin Amy that I figured I would share with you. It's Amy. I wanted to answer your question that you had in your latest episode of Sons of Anarchy for episode eight, The Pool, as to which person sucks more, Darby or Alvarez. Um, I have never seen the show before. This is my first time watching it. And I would say Darby sucks because he was being a racist asshole right off the bat. And I didn't I didn't care for it. Wasn't a fan. So, who knows, maybe I'll hate the other guy more later. But for now, Darby's the douche. I think I agree. Maybe. Possibly. I don't know. I asked you, not me. As usual with SOA, we are going to kick this thing off trying to introduce the episode as if it was a romantic comedy. <clears throat> True love can endure all things. From rekindling a flame after a decade apart like Jax and Tara, to trying to raise your kids while you're buried under a pile of debt like Opie and Donna. If the love is real, nothing will get between you. Even a federal agent. Just don't steal the dog or burn down the, the condo. Let's jump into episode 10, Better Half. We open up on Half Sack, dropping Cherry off at work, he finally got his own Dinah. How cute, it's white. I remember a little behind the scenes feature that they did where they talked about the decision going into giving Half Sack the all whited out uh, Dinah as opposed to the blacked out Dinahs that the rest of the club rode. And they wanted him to kind of continue to stand out as he's still a prospect and not part of the club. He hasn't gotten his patch yet. So they wanted to make his bike a little different as well. And I think that was, um, kind of fun. Uh, also, we need to we need to care about Half Sack and Cherry again. That's why they're opening the episode. Luann is getting harassed now by our favorite ATF agent to hate. Well, 
at least the one that still has a pulse, Stahl is back in Charming. And they're able to pop Luann on a drug charge, which probably wasn't the smartest thing to have a bunch of drugs at your place of business. But, you know, maybe not the smartest person. I don't know. Jax and Opie are mechanics again. And they get a little heart-to-heart moment. Jax gives Opie a pep talk. And, you know, it's... Honestly, it's a nice moment. It's a kind of boring moment, but it's a very nice moment in the episode between these two characters. And I am all for the Jackson Opie moments, as I think you've probably figured out if you've been listening or watching this podcast for any period of time. Stahl is now taking over the police station. And Unser, let's just say he's less than stoked about it. She kicks him out of his own office and he says what we're all thinking and her response is what's well, actually pretty rude get around to chemo that's a low blow on literally any level but we like unser usually right we don't like stall anyway hale is all in with stall and she gives us the exposition about how she knows all about the IRA. And now Sam Crow is getting their guns in the country and how they're putting them together and all that. She's, she's figured out everything. She also knows about McKeevy being killed. And she thinks that Hefner is the one that did it. And she thinks that Sam Crow killed Hefner. She thinks a lot. Correctly mostly because the plot needs her to, um, but she also thinks that she's going to be able to get the club with Rico. And the plan is to use Luann to get Otto to talk. And that's why she went and popped Luann with a drug charge. But that would give her her past crime, because as you know, Otto is in jail right now and isn't a part of anything in the present, but he got to jail for a reason stands to reason that he would have been involved in some past crimes and that's what they need uh, for that piece of Rico and then they need to prove that Sam Crow killed Hefner for the present crime and to do it she's going after the women and here's where the show takes a turn from reality she says and I quote outlaw clubs do not keep their women in the dark Maybe not in this fictional biker world, but real outlaw MCs based on everything that I've ever heard, they actually do. The women don't know shit about club business. Nobody that doesn't wear a patch knows anything about club business, from what I gather. That being said, it sure does make the show better (laughs) that in this world, the women have a huge role to play and Hale is not stoked that Tara is one of the women on this list and so is Cherry again why we saw her with Halfsack all happy and such earlier to start the episode and so is Donna poor Donna which is why the whole previously on Sons of Anarchy segment was about Donna just can't catch a break with this Donna character, can we? And credits. 
extending my streak. One of these Hulu commercials is for ED. Nothing says you're in your 30s like commercials for that. And that's your commercial break. Cammie Hayes, the new IRA contact, Cameron, whatever you want to call him, the Irishman, well, he survived. And after a sit-tight call from Clay, he gets a little chat in the cabin with Gemma. And Gemma seems to go to the same church as Dominic Toretto. Family. And apparently, Gemma is more comfortable with butt stuff than she is comfortable with praying. Which is something I didn't need to know about Gemma. But here we are. Donna gets the first visit from Stahl that isn't Luann. Uh, she's going through it right now. We know where she is with Opie in the club based on the last episode. And she didn't need this to unravel her even more than she already is. But she does stick by Ope. She doesn't bite. She's visibly stressed and shaken. But she stays strong and tells that bitch to get out of her house. Good on you, Donna. But now we cut to Opie who's asking for his cash from the hit on Hefner so that he can pay some bills. And we've got two sides of the same coin. We've got Donna stressed about Opie in the club. We've got Opie stressed about Donna and money. And he's thinking the club's going to get him the money that he needs to make Donnie, ha Donnie Donna happy. And she's thinking, I don't give a shit. I would be poor with this man. I just want him to get out of the club, be safe, and not go back to prison or die. It's quite the juxtaposition that we have going on with these two characters, but what is clear is the stress levels for both of them and the there's something personal going on here, and people are picking up on it, particularly Clay in this scene, and that's not great. Now it's Tara's turn, though. Stahl doesn't tell her why she's asking uh, about, like, her, and she's actually really condescending as shit about it um and tara thinks that this is about agent cone and i i really like uh when stall is giving tara kind of the her own background on her own life and her own report card her own um story <laughs> if you will I, I really like how tara just looks her dead in the eye and goes i know i was there i just like that uh, she does claim to not know about any illegal activity that Jax and the club would be doing. Um, she's She has a little pause there, but she is, you know, convicted when she says it has conviction. She's not being convicted because she's not in handcuffs. Anyways, uh, Stahl leaves the cone cliffhanger just dangling out there for her, and it kind of hits her like a hammer. Hammer. Hammer, 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 hammer. Can't talk today. Maybe it's the different setting. Uh, I'm not stuck in the dungeon basement today. I'm actually in a real room. And I think it's throwing me off, to be honest with you. I, I need my secluded corner in order to say words in the English language properly. But I really appreciate you hanging out anyways, uh, while I just try to fumble my way through how words work. Slow motion. Those are the next two words that I've decided to use. Slow motion. Walk by with Jax and Stahl. Seriously, it was incredibly slow. 
but they both keep eye contact all cocky and then immediately turn around for like a double take after they get past the other and they think that the other one's not going to catch them looking back again. It's an interesting choice to have both of those characters do it. And I think it says a lot without saying anything about how confident they are on the surface with each other and how both of them are like, really, what do they know that I don't? Can I really pull this off? What in the world is going on? That's so, uh, this is, this is wild. Oh, I'm not comfortable. At least that's how I'm interpreting it. And Tara is clearly shook by this whole thing, the the visit by Stahl and everything. And Jax is trying to convince her that it's all smoke. He makes these ominous promises that he's never going to let her get hurt. And let's just, let's just revisit that at some point in the series, shall we? Okay. Donna's packing her and the kids' stuff. And Opie shows up with some cash to pay the bills. And we have to have our obligatory marital fight between the two of them about how he supports his family through the club and he can't be a good old boy chucking wood from six to six and all of that nonsense and i'm still not totally sure what exactly he's doing chucking wood like i get it they're cutting down trees but like for some reason i want to know more about what they're then doing with the trees and why what what is that business are they clearing land for housing development? Is it going straight in the face of Clay's plan to keep Charming Heights from being a thing? Are they getting, you know, chopped down and turned into paper? What is, what's happening? Is it firewood? Are they making firewood? Do they not have furnaces in this town because it's California and they don't really need heat 99% of the time? And if they do, maybe they just build a fire. I don't know. Maybe it's the fire that they keep using to burn all these bodies after they kill them. I need to know more. But he does have a really nice mic drop with Donna. And this is something that hits me harder now. It, this one has always um, hit me when I watch this episode. But it hits me harder now because I'm a father and a husband. And he says, he just looks her dead in the eye and says, if you can't get behind that, keep packing. I'm going to see my kids. And it just, like a... It's like the Wile E. Coyote Roadrunner episodes or the cartoons that just drop an anvil randomly out of the sky and splat the person on the ground. That's how I feel every time that line is delivered. It rocks me. It just does. Anyways, now we get to go grocery shopping with Gemma. And Cherry shows up, freaking out. Because apparently, she's married. And she's wanted for grand theft and arson. She burned down the condo of her and her husband. And Gemma has the best response to this, which is nice touch. And she just keeps shopping as if she didn't hear anything. And oh, Cherry's name is Rita, not Cherry at all. Cherry was the dog's name, the dog that she stole. <laughs> you can't make this shit up. Well, I, I mean, you can make it up. Kurt Sutter made it up or his team of writers made it up. Regardless of who made it up, it was made up, but it's just wild. Uh, here comes the feds, who just happened to know that she's at the grocery store. Sure. And she gets a really nice shot in on one of them, but then she can't get past the skinny dude by the door. It's like she's a linebacker and just blasts the one like into a 
whatever, like the, the shelving unit of a grocery store, just blasts her. But once it comes time for the guy at the door, she's like, oh, flag football, two-hand tap, you caught me. Eh. Sure. Uh, now we've got this, like, power chat happening with Gemma and Stahl. And we've got a good blowjob joke. We've got a weird hair stroke. There's just this weird, like, close, seductive, almost, like, almost like they're going to have hate sex in the next scene. Like, it's that kind of weird tension. But they definitely don't. That's not what happens. The next scene is actually Rita getting questioned. She doesn't want to share any information except that it was her dog, but then she learns that she's going to be extradited to Nevada where she's wanted for these crimes and she's going to do real time in jail and the bluff is attempted murder charges. She's not so confident anymore uh, and now we're at the table and so is Unser, <laughs> which is a fun just one of these things is not like the other kind of moment and he informs the club that Stahl is trying to use RICO. And if you're not familiar, RICO is a law enforcement act that stands for Racketeering, Influence, and Corrupt Organizations. Essentially, this is what law enforcement uses to try to bring down groups of criminals as a unit as opposed to as individual members. I did have to Google part of that. Uh, anyways, if they can prove that illegal activity is done as part of an organized criminal organization, they can arrest groups of people and give harsher penalties than just like a single offense that they can prove against a single individual of a group. Yeah, this is this is how they try to take down mob families. This is how they try to take down gangs, motorcycle clubs, obviously. And it's actually really interesting if you look up any of the real life cases and stories that are pretty public with these outlaw clubs because they often stick to the stance that they're a group of motorcycle enthusiasts stop me if you've heard clay morrow say that before uh, and while individual members might participate in illegal activity they are doing so as individuals and not on behalf of the club that they're a part of and if that's true they can't be a criminal organization of course, the common belief is that it's more like this TV show. Everything's done to benefit the club, and Sam Crow absolutely is a criminal organization by definition in this show. But for my money, the truth in reality lies somewhere in the middle, which is my belief on most things. Let's never talk politics, shall we? Uh, I believe that there's a ton of motorcycle clubs out there, Diamond Patch or not, a.k.a. 1%er patch, aka Outlaw Club, who are not participating in organized criminal activity. Most of them aren't doing anything illegal aside from probably speeding and maybe riding after they've had a, a beer or two, or unfortunately, sometimes several, which is not something that I condone ever. Uh, but then there are others that are definitely what you would consider a criminal organization. And I don't think it's even clear cut by what name is on their cut i've heard of hell's angels chapters that are like full-on volunteer firefighters who live in the suburbs and don't break the law at all so that's true it's really more like a charter by charter basis for me rather than a club by club case and it all gets really really murky and muddy and honestly fascinating to me how the whole thing works and i understand 
I feel as though, as I said, I'm in the middle where like I understand where a perception lies on one side when they see members of whether they be outlaw clubs or other organizations doing bad things and being bad people and trying to lump them all together so that they can make the penalties harsher and really prove something or the other side where it's like one it's kind of the thought process of like one bad seed shouldn't ruin everything for everyone but it kind of often does and I mean, for one, within the motorcycle community, there's a reason the outlaw clubs are called one percenter clubs. It's the one percent living outside the law. Ninety-nine percent aren't. They just like to ride motorcycles. And that is true whether they wear a cut or not. So it's it's all very interesting. Anyways, but as I said, Sam Crow is absolutely organized, absolutely criminal, and absolutely awesome. <laughs> It's a TV show, people. Uh, except for Tig. He's not awesome. He blames Tara for the ATF being there, which isn't true. Cone came for her, but he wasn't actually on a case. Stahl came on her own and didn't even know who Cone was. But of course, he doesn't know that. He's just being a dick because we're still building this feud with him and Jax. And Bobby lets us know that Otto isn't reachable in prison. So Jax hatches a plan to get a message to him through Luann. But let me bring this up real, real quick. Clay says openly to the group that if it was him and they had Gemma, he would give them something, something old that wouldn't hurt the club. By definition, that's being a rat. So he's okay if it's him and Gemma was involved. But they have a strict no-rat policy in Sam Crow. And that's going to be very, very apparent very, very soon. But when it does, remember this hypocrisy. And thankfully, we have Unser here because he raises his hand during the vote, and that's absolutely hilarious. He's also the one that informs the group there's nothing too old to hurt you with Rico. So now Stahl is with Otto, aka Kurt Sutter. He's not stoked about Luann getting picked up, and Stahl plays this victim card because she's such a chess player, and she's trying to bait him into giving her an old case that doesn't matter, just like Clay said he would do, and she also baits him with his parole. And Otto hatches a plan with his old dead shit and demands that the deal be put in writing and that he gets a conjugal visit with Luann. And the plot thickens. Jax and Tara are back at Tara's house, the scene of the crime. And this is the first time that she's been back, apparently, and the whole what is this relationship talk has to happen. And Jax just has a great response. A simple question without a simple answer. Also, what's he feeling? She's freaking out about being in that room like she killed Cone. Jax isn't looking to stick around either. He actually did kill Cone. He also has shit to do. 
The plan is beginning. Bobby and Tig and Piney walk into a bar. And you can finish the joke. I'm going to stick with what actually happens, where they start a bar brawl. And this is the plan to get the cops out of the police station so that Jackson Opie can break in with Unser, the chief of police, <laughs> uh, which is just fun. Opie is still distracted when the cops take off for the distraction, and Jax just leaves him out there as a lookout. Jax brought Opie along because he knew that he was struggling. He wanted to show him that he had confidence in him. He wanted to give him support. But now it's go time, and Opie's head is not in the game. It's at home with Donna and his kids, which most rational human beings would argue, that's where it should be. So if it's just Jax and Unser inside the police station, and Jax tells Luann that ATF is trying to use Rico against the club and asks her to get that message to Otto. Cherry, or Rita, is completely falling apart, and she threatens to rat if they don't get her out of there. So of course, Jax brings her with them. Unser's regretting his loyalties in this moment just tenfold, and it's coming out as humor in the episode, which I love. Uh, Jax just happens to walk in on the stall having an orgasm, thanks to our boy Hale, face deep. And, again, not what I necessarily needed to see, but okay, sure. She has an odd, um, let's just say she has an odd O face and move on with our lives. Uh, in the next morning, Hale is upset that they let Cherry get broken out right under his nose while his nose was focused on something else under it, and Stahl is actually not bothered at all. Um, she's still she's still feeling good. Uh, apparently, our witness to the Hefner murder has come forward. The one, remember when Bobby shot Hefner and there was someone looking out the window for a second? That witness. That's the witness. And the sketches are impeccable and there's our present day crime cut to stall with Otto he's working with her and she agrees to sign Luann's release papers now and now she's here to deliver a message to him so keeping track of the order of operations Luann's paperwork has been signed and taken out of the room we can only assume to be delivered. And Luann, there's nothing conjugal about what's happening. She's able to deliver the message of Rico to Otto. And he, you know, we'll get into it in a minute. But first, we have to see Clay and Unser setting up Happy with a truck to get Cammy and Cherry out of town. And this is wild to me. I, I just have to say it. It's absolutely bonkers. I get that she said she's going to rat, so the club has a vested interest in getting her away safely. But at the same time, she is threatening something that could take down Sam Crow and, by all accounts, all of its other charters as well. She's a threat to them. And they're just smuggling her away and letting Halfsack fuck her on the way out. I, I know their code is that they don't hurt women and children. The innocence 
But is she really innocent? She threatened them into this. I don't know. Just thinking they might have a slightly different way of keeping her quiet. Perhaps more permanently. Especially with Happy driving that truck. I guess that's a spoiler, though, because she... She lives! Just so you know. Uh, and now we get to see Luann getting that message to Otto. And he lets her know that she's already been cleared. He's also promised to get a, a message to Clay that's going to keep her safe. And it's funny that he's married to a porn star and he can't even, you know, get any with the camera on. Uh, that That's right in her wheelhouse. And it just, nope, not happening. Uh, and Stahl's actually thinking the same thing. Not even a hand job. This is a more sexual uh, episode than I remembered it, even watching it. I didn't remember it being as sexual as my notes are depicting. But it must have been because I write these in real time as I'm watching the episode. I mean, literally, it is... Sometimes it's painstaking because I'm pausing the episode every, like, three frames so that I can write these things down. It's... It's kind of a lot sometimes. Anyways, you don't care. We have post-coital cuddling for Half-Sack and Rita, who wants him to keep calling her by a fake name, Cherry. And she gives him her cherry to remember her by. Not that cherry. That cherry's long gone. The dog tag from her dog cherry. That's the one whose identity she stole. And after she stole the dog in the car and burnt down the condo, she kept the, the collar thing tag thing and that's what she's giving to half sack right now not that other chair again a much more sexual episode of the show than i've remembered it being hale informs stall that bobby was id'd from the witness sketches but not opie and that's setting up some shit to go down and tara gives cammy the clear to travel cammy hayes cam cam cameron irishman IRA guy. I, I don't know why. I just find it hard to give that dude a name that I feel is memorable even for me, so let alone you. Anyways, Gemma is absolutely very petty and passive-aggressive, and she does get her beads, though, so that's good. Uh, Cammy's rosary, that is, again, not, not those kind of beads. And she actually hugs Rita goodbye and sends th the beads with her. And this is cute and all, but just not the response that I believe from her character. Cherry threatened her club and family, and she just gets a cutesy send-off. None of this makes sense to me. None of it. Gemma does not react this way, particularly with the women that get in the way or potentially threaten her son and her husband and their club. She gets... She hit this chick in the face with a skateboard when she slept with Clay on a run and had the audacity to come to town. Not for sleeping with, but coming to town. That was the that was the uh the the crime in in that exchange, which makes sense to no one except for the people that wrote it. What but threatening to rat on everyone and get them all sent away for hard time for like long stretches in prison give me a hug dear have a great time this doesn't make sense to me i'm sorry and now stall heads in to get the past crime from otto and 
Well, here we go. He reads the statement, and they're supposed to trade signatures. That's kind of the 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 deal, right? They're going to trade. Say, you first, then me. Okay, let's get this thing done. Stahl's thinking it's going to be great, and he baits her into coming closer to the table because, you know, he can't see. He's got it like one eye already and glasses, and he's just not a... He's not a very visual, he's very visually impaired, this character, because Kurt Sutter hates every character that he plays, I think. And, well, he wrecks Stahl's face. Just smashes it against the table several times, and it's so, so satisfying. Mwah. I love it so much, and it's worth getting the shit kicked out of him by the guards, especially for me. It's not my face getting kicked in and or getting smashed against the table, for that matter. I'm just a viewer that likes to see her get hurt severely because I hate this character with a burning passion way deeper than I should for a fictional character that doesn't actually exist in the in the real world and she's in surprisingly good condition considering what she just had happened to her facial region um and she's very 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 pissed off and that's the episode it might be the first one that didn't end on a montage of any kind um it's just a cold close on her bloody face and her murderous rage which the actress plays very very well and i just i can't i can't tell you how much how how giddy it makes me that her face was smashed just smashed i love it all in all it's uh it, it's a good episode in my opinion um it lost me with the cherry stuff. Again, it's uh, more sexual than I remember it, but hey, I've got a dirty sense of humor, so fine, go for it. Um, not only are the cops not even looking for cherry after they broke her out of jail, uh, she got like clean transport out of town, courtesy of the club, with a goodbye fuck from Half Sack and a touching moment from Gemma, and none of that feels correct to me in any way, as I've stated. So, and I want to make this clear too. It's not that I don't like cherry, I like her character fine. Um, this just doesn't feel like it's responded to in character by the other characters, particularly Clay and Gemma. But I, 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 I and I've already kind of spoiled this. Happy's not going to kill her uh, and leave her in a ditch on the way. She's actually has a role later on in this show. So not only did she not have real consequences for threatening to rat out the club, she gets to stay connected to it. Sorry. I'm done harping on that. I, I'm, I'm over it, sort of, um, until we get to her reappearance, probably. I'm sorry. There's spoilers in this. Uh, I like the Jackson Terrace stuff uh, in this one, too, um, probably because it's not overdone. It's not overly romantic or anything. It just feels real. Uh, this feels like high school sweethearts that are starting to reconnect within complete and utter chaos, and that's already... A, a very confusing situation for people. I know I have experience with that particular concept. And, and when it was happening in my life, we didn't kill anyone <laughs> or have a federal agency trying to pull me away for life. We were just people who'd grown up and reconnected. And that's what Jackson and Tara are showing really well in the episode, despite the fact that they do have a federal agency trying to put him away for life and they did kill someone who also happened to be a federal agent. 
that's a different level of stress. Uh, we've also got a seed planted with Happy, and this is spoilery, so skip ahead if you need to. Um, Happy tells Clay in this episode he's considering going nomad and breaking off from the Tacoma Charter so that he can take care of his mom. And Clay says there's always a spot at the Redwood table for him, meaning Clay would accept his transfer to Charming if he wanted to, which does happen after Happy has gone nomad. And that's also the time frame we're later told in Mayans that Happy kills Easy and Angel's mom in Mayans while he's nomad before he joins Sam Crow. And this is our little nugget to that connection that's cool to catch on a rewatch and I'm sure hadn't been planned yet. Finally, I love Unser in this episode. That's it. That's the note. He's amazing. He just brings me so much joy. And it brings me a ton of joy that you're still here listening. Uh, if you are, it means you're a serious fan of both Sons of Anarchy and this podcast, and I couldn't thank you enough for that. Um, at this moment, I'd like to remind you that back in the beginning of 2020, I did start writing a sequel fan fiction, picking up the Abel and Thomas story. Uh, I wrote 11 chapters of that, and I am sharing those with patrons. Um, it is similar to a conversation about a potential possible Abel and Thomas sequel that I spoke with Kella about on the recent episode that he came on and we talked about the future or at least the possibilities for what a future could look like in the Sons of Anarchy uh, Sutterverse, if you will. Um, and with that fan fiction, I'm reading every single chapter that I've written so far for Patreon. So if you're interested in hearing those, join Patreon. Uh, bonus Binge Squad and above get access to those that bonus content. Um, it's on patreon.com slash belated binge, and there's a link in the show notes of this episode. Before we go, let's rewrite Sons of Anarchy one small change in each episode at a time. For this episode, what if Stahl didn't sign Luann's deal first? Let's see what that does to the story and what alternate outcomes for the plot you can come up with. And you can share them with me on social media where I'm going to post that question. Uh, you can follow Belated Binge across TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and X. There's also an exclusive Facebook group for listeners of the podcast. I would love for you to join that group so that we can have lots of fun, witty banner back and forth, and we can just talk about things within this show, other binges that I have going on, random life stuff. I'm truly open uh, to all forms of communication in there as long as they are positive in nature and you're not being a dick. So come join the free Facebook group, please. We'd love to have you. Uh, the best responses to the question, though, are going to be featured in a future episode of this podcast. If you enjoy this episode, Rebinging Sons of Anarchy, give me a follow, leave a review on you know the podcast player that you're listening to, subscribe on YouTube, leave a comment down below, whatever, however you are engaging with it right now, do something nice on there, please, I would appreciate it. Uh, and you can visit belatedbinge.com to leave a voicemail with any of your own thoughts and find links to everything. Thank you again for listening, and remember, life is short, buy the motorcycle, and when you do, wear a helmet, dress for the slide, not the ride, and make sure that you're taking belated binge, Sons of Anarchy, along for that ride.